so we're starting in our series on Galatians now because uh, so many of us made new decisions to follow Jesus or recommitted our life to him. And now what happens in us is that there's a desire that's stirred up in us to live the new life that God's called us to. There's an old way that we were living and now we've been freed from that and there's a desire to live a godly life inside of us. And as we go through the book of Galatians, it's going to talk about how it is that we can live in that freedom and live in the new life that Jesus has made available to us. Because believe it or not, that's not something that comes naturally to us. I remember when I made a decision to follow Jesus, the first thing that I started thinking about was, okay, now, how is it that I become godly? And if you're taking notes today, write that down, because that's the central theme of this, is how is it that I become godly now? Leave the old life and step into the new life that God has called me to. And as I'm wrestling through this, one of my other friends in high school he made a decision to follow Jesus too. And so uh, he decided that what he needed to do was to throw away all of his secular music. And it was, I was like, oh man, really? <laughs> and so he's sharing this with me and I'm celebrating because, you know, he listened to some honestly pretty terrible stuff, uh, stylistically and also morally. And so I was like, that's great, you know, it's so cool that you're so passionate for Jesus. He's like, and Jeremy, you need to do the same thing too. I'm like, What? He's like, yeah, don't you love Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, but I also really like Weird Al. And now some of you are judging me for that. But I had just <laughs> bought Weird Al's Alapalooza album, and I, was, I, I loved it, and it was, it was so good. And he's like, Jeremy, you know, if you really want to get serious about this Christian thing, you need to throw out all those albums and only listen to, like, DeGarmo and Key and, you know, DC Talk and some of those bands. And I was like, man, that's not really what I feel God's speaking to me, but now I'm feeling like I'm not as good of a Christian if I don't do what it is that my buddy's pressuring me to do so now that I can really be saved and really be set on the right path. And so I ended up doing that. I ended up getting rid of all of my secular music because of the pressure that I felt for him and then I ended up having to buy it all back. So that was <laughs> an expensive choice that I made. But what happened was I wanted to be godly. I was trying to figure out how it is that I do this and someone else started putting pressure on me to live in a way that would make it so that I was really a Christian. And what I did was I went from a gospel of grace that said that I'm not saved, I'm not made right with God because of anything that I can do, but because of God's love for me and the sacrifice that he made, to then moving into saying, okay, now I become godly, Jesus, I don't need you in this, I can do this on my own. I can make up some rules, there are some things that I can follow and that I can do to make myself godly without Jesus doing it inside of me. And this is something that all of us struggle through, because the natural response, believe it or not, to the grace of God is for us to try to figure out laws and rules and ways that we can now take over what it was that God started in us and do it independent of him. And this is what's happening in the church in the region of Galatia. Paul, who was an apostle, and he goes around, he's not a pastor, he's an apostle, so he's going, he's planting churches, preaching the gospel, raising up a pastor, establishing the church, and then he leaves them and goes on to plant a new church in a new area but he's still having correspondences with them to keep track of what it is that's going on. And he finds out that what's happened is after he leaves that church, other people come in and they start making those that are there feel as though they're not true Christians because they aren't following the same laws that they are following. Instead of salvation through grace and now being made godly and sanctified because of the work of God inside of us, they're saying there are these rules and these things that you have to do now to be a real Christian, to be right with God, to become godly. 
And Paul is very upset about this, and he responds to them uh, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7 by saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What Paul is saying is that there are two different gospels. And one is it's the gospel of Jesus. You couldn't save yourself. Jesus had to come and save you by his grace. It was his work inside of you. And then there's the gospel of religion, which says that you are saved by what you do. Now, the word gospel means a proclamation of good news. So the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus that you are saved by grace, that's really good news for us because we've all figured out that we can't follow the law, that we can't do something to make ourselves right with God. The gospel of religion isn't good news at all. That's why it says this isn't really a gospel because it's not good news to know that you have to be the one who makes yourself right with God. That's bad news. I would be in a bad, bad place if that were the truth. And so Paul's saying, guys, you need to continue on in what it is that God started inside of you. God saved you, and he's the one that's going to continue to shape you and to make you godly. Reject the gospel of religion and embrace the gospel of grace. You, can't, you couldn't save yourself on your own, and you can't make yourself godly on your own. And the issue that came up was, and this is maybe awkward for some people, it was the issue of circumcision. What happened was these people came in and they started talking to the, the people in Galatia and they're saying, hey, so you follow Jesus now? And they're like, yeah. They're like, so you got circumcised? And they're like, what? Because for the people that were Jewish, a part of the custom was on the eighth day, you were circumcised. So you don't remember that. It's not a big deal because you didn't make the choice, none of that. So now you have these other people who aren't Jewish, and they're making decisions to follow Jesus. And they're coming and saying, all right, you know, you raised your hand to respond to Jesus. Let's get out the knife. We're going we're gonna to seal the deal, so to speak. And people are like, no, no. So it's becoming a stumbling block for them. Could you imagine church partnership? It would be female only at that point. You show up to the, the, like, the partnership class and you're like, okay, these are our beliefs and you know, sign the covenant and you know, let's do some surgery real quick. Like, I'm like, honey, I'm going to wait in the car. You go in there, you sign up for us. Let me know what happens. We're all good. But they're making people feel like they aren't real Christians because they aren't willing to get circumcised. Yeah. You aren't really godly if you haven't responded by cutting flesh off of your body. Here's the thing. There is no amount of anything you can cut off of yourself that's going to make you godly. Amen. If that were the case, then Jesus didn't have to come. So Paul says, why is it that you're abandoning the gospel of grace, abandoning the way that God wants to make you like him and to sanctify you, and going back to doing things that really can't change you? Amen. And that's something... That's a temptation for every single one of us. It's an issue that every one of us has to wrestle with. And this is something that goes all the way back to the fall of man. And this is really, I think it's pretty incredible. When you look at the Bible all through it, you see people are struggling with this idea of how is it that I become godly. From the very beginning of Genesis to the last chapter in Revelation, you see people struggling with how is it that I can become godly because that's our desire. When you follow Jesus, that is what you want to do. You want to be like God. You want to leave sin and all of that stuff behind and live a righteous life. And this goes even in Genesis. Uh, look at this. It says in chapter 2, 
Now the, God, or I'm sorry, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember that, tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in Genesis chapter 2 it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't say anything about the tree of life. He says, Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from that, you will surely die. Now, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil always results in death in us. Every single time. It results in death of your relationship with God. It results in death of the relationship between you and your family, co-workers, people inside of the church. Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil never produces life inside of us. And so in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from the tree or from any tree in the garden? So he's lying. You know, he's saying, He knows God didn't say that. And so the woman says, You must, uh, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you surely must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Again, he's lying. And this is where it gets really interesting. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What's the temptation there? Is Satan saying, hey, go and do this and then you'll be able to completely rebel against God and be as as evil and separate and rebellious from God as you possibly can be? That's not the temptation that Satan brings. He says, don't you want to be godly? We do, don't we? Every one of us wants to be godly. That's, that's the original sin here. That was a temptation. It wasn't, I want to rebel against God. It was, I want to be like God. And we all know what happens. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's what's happened. They decide we want to be like God, which is what we all should want to be. That's what God wants for us. But the way that they were supposed to be like God was through life. Jesus defined life for us. Life is this. It's knowing God the Father and the Christ that he sent. That's what life is. That's eating from the tree of life, is relationship, knowing God. That's what shapes us and changes us into his image. But instead, they decided, instead of becoming like God through relationship with him, I'm going to become like God through knowledge. And instead of knowing what's right and wrong based on my relationship with God and what he's revealed to me, I'm going to decide what's right and wrong based off of knowledge that I have attained myself. And that's the struggle that all of us face. How is it that we are going to become godly? Which gospel is it that we're going to believe? Are we going to believe the gospel of grace, the gospel of life, of restored relationship with our Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, stirring up the desire and the ability to live a life that's pleasing to God, empowered to overcome sin through his strength inside of us? Or are we going to return to no gospel at all that says that I, through my own knowledge of what's right and wrong, can become like God 
and make the decisions for myself and try to set up my own structure and my own systems whereby I make myself godly and presentable to Jesus. That's the choice. That's the two gospels that every single one of us are struggling with. And here's how you can tell the gospel that you've been believing and the way that you've been trying to become godly. It says, one focuses on what you do and one focuses on what Jesus has done. Amen. Uh, reading the Bible. You guys, hopefully you all love reading the Bible. But here's what happens. Even, even that little reading plan we made up and gave to you guys, that can become something that is about what you do instead of putting the focus on what Jesus has done. Because here's what will happen. Some people will grab that and they're like, I love Jesus so much, I'm going to read like eight chapters a day. And it's not, I'm reading this because God's speaking to me through Scripture and I'm being changed by it as Jesus reveals himself to me. It's, okay, I want to be godly, so I'm going to read these eight chapters a day, blow through, I'm going to get it done. And those of you guys that are only reading three chapters a day, you just don't love Jesus like I do. <laughs> get godly, folks. Are you even saved? But that's what happens. Because what can happen with even the Bible, which I love, and I encourage this guy, study the Bible, read the Bible, let it speak to you and become alive to you, but don't let it become about the pursuit of knowledge. Because the knowledge of the Scripture isn't enough to change you. It says this in John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40. The study, uh, you study the Scripture, sorry, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you study the Scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. See, as incredible as the Bible is, the Bible itself doesn't have the ability to change you. Knowledge of God doesn't have the ability to change you. But when you read scripture and you discover Jesus in it, when the Holy Spirit makes it come alive to you and it begins to change you because relationally you're encountering the power and the presence of God, that's something that changes you. The Pharisees, they knew the Bible better than anybody in this room ever will. They memorized just books and books of Scripture. But that knowledge of Scripture was not enough so that they could recognize who Jesus was. I met an atheist one time, and he had the entire book of John memorized. It was, I tested him. You know, I pulled I pull my Bible and I tested him, and he could tell me any verse in the book of John that I pulled out. And it made me feel like, man, I'm terrible. But even the knowledge of that scripture wasn't enough to change his life because he completely missed God in all of it and what it was that God was speaking to him. It would be like if I took one of the love letters that my wife wrote me, and I was like, oh, I just love this letter. I've got it memorized. And Anna's like, hey, do you want to hang out? I'm like, no, I don't want to hang out with you. I've got this letter. I just love it so much. It's like, you've missed the point. Don't love the revelation of, and the words of who it is that loves you more than them. But that's what happens to us is because we begin to focus on what it is that we do. I read X amount of scriptures. I, you know, I prayed for X many minutes. I did blah, 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 all these things. And we didn't focus on what it was that Jesus has done. We did all of these things, which are good things, but in and of themselves, they don't have the power to change your heart. This all points to God. When we read our Bibles, it's all about Jesus. When we pray, it's all about Jesus. When we serve other people, it's all about Jesus. And that's the gospel of grace. Uh, another thing that it does is one is focused on getting God's approval and one is focused on receiving God's love. 
Here's, I think a lot of us have this view, because I read this this week, actually, so I don't think. There's a study that says that the average American's view of God is that we have a God who's angry, and he's mad at us. You know where I think part of this comes from? You guys remember Chick Tracks, where there's always this picture like, that they'd hand out instead of tipping their waiter or waitress, they'd give you a track. Hooray! <laughs> and uh, what it always like, shows like an Abraham Lincoln-type picture of Jesus, where you just saw like, this big chair and his legs, and, and like, you didn't see his face, but you could just tell that he was disapproving and angry up there on the throne. And that's how people view God. And we think that God is just mad, and I have to do something now to win God's approval that I can't come into the presence of God, I can't come to Jesus until I, I straighten myself up and I clean up all of these bad things that I'm doing and I get right with God because he's not going to love me, he's not going to accept me until I make myself right and acceptable with him. But that's not the gospel that Jesus came to preach and to die for. Amen. See, it says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't have an angry God who's sitting on his throne, mad at all of humanity. We serve a loving God who loves us so much, a just God who hates sin, but loves us so much that he was willing to come and to lay down his life for us when we were as far away from him as we could possibly be. We don't have to win God's approval because he loves us. Yeah. He loves us so much. Last I checked, people weren't lining up to die for me. No one loves me like Jesus loves me. Amen. And was, what did I, was I living a life that he would approve of before he died for me? No, if I was, he wouldn't have had to die for me. But while I was living a terrible life, entrenched in sin. He came and he died for me. So the way that I become godly now isn't about trying to focus on making myself right so that I can have God's approval in my life. It's focused on receiving God's love for me. Because you know what led me to that place of where I put my faith in him? is when I realized how great his love was for me. That's when it all happened for me. I didn't have to stop living in sin. I didn't have to get myself cleaned up. I didn't have to make myself presentable before Jesus. I just had to come to him because here's the thing, is you never will be able to do that. The only, I, I, people ask me all the time, they're like, hey, do I have to like, stop smoking weed before I can come to church? And I'm like, no. You go get high if you got it before you get, you know, get the nerves so you can come to church. Like, that's not my concern. Do I have to stop drinking? No. Do I have to stop living with my boyfriend, girlfriend? I'm like, no, come into the church. Come and make that decision to follow Jesus. Because Jesus didn't come to a people that were clean already. Amen. He didn't say, you have to clean yourself up before you can come to me. He said, you can't clean yourself up. Amen. The only way that you're going to be able to clean up is if I come and I'm the one that cleans you. So this is what we have to recognize. A lot of you guys that are struggling with something and you feel distanced from God right now and you don't want to get close to him because of the things that you're doing, that's the worst thing you can do. You need to run to the feet of Jesus, confess the sin that's in your life, ask him to break the power of it over you and allow him to be the one that cleans you up. That's been the story of my life. That's been the story of every person who's ever made a decision to follow Jesus. You will never be able to break free from the bondage that holds you as long as you keep a distance from God. Amen. But when you run to the one who saves you and can set you free, 
His power can do a miracle inside of your life. Don't focus on the gospel of religion. Focus on the gospel of grace. Receive God's love for you. John 4, 1 John 4.19 says this, We love because he first loved us. And that's what it comes down to. And then, um, sorry, I missed one. And then lastly, one focuses on external duty and one focuses on internal desire. Have you guys met people? It's like, oh, I have to do this. I meet pastors all the time. They're like, I gave in to the call of the Lord 20 years ago. It's been hell ever since. That's because you're focused on an external duty. Like serving Jesus can be burdensome and weary if there's not an internal desire in your heart to do it. Stop focusing. I love this when people are like, oh, I guess I'll go serve in the children's ministry. No, man, if you love kids and go in there and serve them and teach them about the joy of the Lord that you have that comes from your salvation, don't just focus on the external things that you have to do. Work on the internal desire that's inside of your heart. I love this. It says this in 1 John 5, 3 and 12. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Listen, God certainly has commands that we are to follow. I'm not trying to say, hey, everything's all grace, go do whatever the heck you want. Like That is not the gospel either. But what I'm saying is that even if you follow every command, but there isn't a heart thing going on inside of you that's been changed, then it doesn't matter if you're keeping the commands, because your heart isn't for God. Our motivation has to be love. It has to be that we've recognized the love that God has for us. And now it's a joy that we get to serve him, that we get to surrender our lives to him and follow the things that he's called us to. And the things that he's called us to are not burdensome. The things that he's called us to are life inside of us. But as long as you keep just focusing on these are the external things that I have to do, instead of saying, God, the life that you've called me to, honestly, I don't have a lot of desire inside of me to do that. So God, would you stir up desire inside of me? God, would you change my heart to see that the life that you've called me to is the only life that there is. It's the only joy, the only peace, the only hope is in what you have called me to do. And when you do that, God's call and his commands for you become light. Jesus says this, that come and cast your cares on him because his yoke is light. It's easy. There's freedom that comes in following Jesus. Don't focus on the external. Focus on the changed heart inside of you that's going to lead you into new life. And so here's, um, quickly as we're closing, these are the things I think that we need to focus on. If you want this to happen, if you want to live in the gospel of grace, if you want to live in the tree of life, the first thing that we need to do is fall in love with Jesus. People say, well, that sounds easy, but how is it that that actually happens? It's the same way that I fell in love with my wife. You know, the first time that we met, that we, there weren't sparks that were flying. Um, I thought she was attractive, and that was it. I didn't really care for her personality a whole lot. So she's in kids' ministry right now, so I can say that. And she didn't like me either. So it was a mutual disdain for each other that flourished into what we have now. Um, but here's what happened. I got to know who she is, yeah. and what she's done. Yeah. 
and my heart just became attached to her. You know why I love Jesus? Because of who he is and what he's done. And I just have to focus on that. And when I think about that, when I think about who God is and what it is that he's done for me, I can't help but love him. That's why I have my time in the morning where I just focus on that. I wake up and I'll open my Bible and I'll put on some worship music and I just focus on who God is, his beauty, his majesty, his character, everything about him is perfect. And I think about his love for me and I think about the way that he expressed that in the cross. I think about the blessings that he's poured out in me. And my love for him grows and it grows and it causes a heart change inside of me. And then this is what happens. In John 14, 15, it says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And as a younger man, this is what I thought it says. Like, hey, if you really love me, you're going to do what I tell you to. And so I always felt like I'm a jerk, I'm a bad person. I have to prove that I love Jesus by doing these things. Then I learned about grammar and what that comma means in this sentence structure. And what it's saying is that when you love God, the natural overflow of that in your heart is going to be that you're going to keep his commandments. Amen. It's not that you keep the commandments to prove that you love him, but because you love him, you now live a life that keeps his commandments. And there's a big difference between those two. Which side of that comma have you been living on? You know, I love my wife, and there's no law that says, well, there's a law, there's a God law that says that, you know, I have to remain faithful to her. And so I don't wake up every morning and look at her and be like, all right, God, give me the strength. <laughs> One more day to be faithful. Oh, Lord. I wish there wasn't that law. But you know what? That law doesn't even have to exist because the overflow of my heart is that I would never even think about doing that because I love her too much. Yeah. You see the difference there? If you're in a relationship and you don't love that person in your marriage, you're going to be a lot more susceptible to being unfaithful to them because it's just about focusing on this law, focusing on this law. But there's no heart desire inside of you. There's no love that's the motivation for you. And you can only keep a law that means nothing for so long. That's why for us, it has to become about a love that we have for God that's stirred up by focusing on who he is and what he's done for us. Because when we do that, the natural desire and overflow of our lives is going to be to keep his commandments. And then the second thing that we have to do is respond to conviction, not condemnation. And Jesus isn't saying, hey, just go ahead and sin. My grace is sufficient for that. He's saying that I have called you to a new life. I have called you to a new way to leave behind the sin and to live a righteous life. Yeah. And we are going to sin. And we do have sin issues. We are going to fall. When we sin, Jesus isn't like, good job, buddy. You know, that's not God's view of it. It grieves the heart of God when we sin against him. Yeah. And this is what happens. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. What that means is that we are aware of our sin God speaks it to us, we're convicted of it, 
And that leads us to the repentance. It says, God, I am going to change my life. Forgive me of this. I don't want to live like this anymore. I hear your upward call, the upward call of Christ in every one of us. God doesn't say, you're a terrible person. You know, you don't love me. You're never going to be able to conquer this. Just get out of here. That's condemnation. That's what the enemy speaks. The enemy says, you're never going to overcome this and God doesn't love you anymore. It both starts with the truth of that there is sin. But what God does is he calls you up. He says, repent of that sin. I still love you. What you did grieves my heart and it leads to destruction inside of your life and distance in our relationship, but I'm calling you up. Repent, come back after me. Let that desire of your heart that is love for me propel you into closeness of relationship and a righteous life. But condemnation will always tell you that you've gone too far, you've done too much, God doesn't love, God can't forgive, and you'll never overcome, and you separate yourself from God, and you end up living destruction inside of your life. Always listen to conviction. Never listen to condemnation. And then number three is we have to make a choice every day. I love this. In Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, God's speaking to his people and he says this, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What God's saying to us is choose life. Choose to love him. Allow that love for him to change the trajectory of your heart in the course of your life. Allow that love for him to lead you to repentance from your sin. Allow that love for him to make you follow his commandments and to live a holy, a pure, set-apart life. Don't choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it always brings shame, it always brings guilt, it always brings condemnation. But choosing to love God and firmly commit to him, that brings life, that brings blessing. That brings true godliness inside of you and you will be a transformed person. Will you guys stand with me this morning? I encourage you guys, let's just pray together and allow God to speak to us. God, which tree have we been living in? Has our desire to be godly led us to try to pursue that through knowledge apart from you? Through the external? Or God, have we been focused on you, a heart that loves you, that receives your love and is transformed by your love? Where's the desire of our heart this morning? I believe that God's calling us this day and every day from here on out to make that choice. To choose to love Jesus. To live in the delight that comes from following after him. He wants us to choose life today. He doesn't want us to live out of the tree of knowledge anymore that separates us from him. 
He wants us to live in relationship. He wants us to live in grace. He wants us to live empowered by the Holy Spirit to transform us and to change us, to strengthen us to overcome all temptation. And this morning, if, if you've been living in the wrong tree, and this morning I want you to choose life. And right in your seat where you are, I just want you to pray this with me. Father, I love you. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross to forgive my sins. God, forgive me now. God, would you stir up a love in my heart for you? God, would you open my eyes to see how great your love is? God, would you allow me to receive your grace this morning? God, to receive the life that you give. I want to know you. I want to live my life for you. Make me like you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.